I do have one question I'd like to ask you. Do we have any fans of Cracker Barrel here? Yeah, all right. I, I am like a huge fan of Cracker Barrel. The hash brown casserole at Cracker Barrel should be its own food group. I mean, it's like, it's so good. Well, anyway, uh, I was, uh, some, I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, oh, I've never been to Cracker Barrel. And I'm like, how long have you been in America? And, uh, and anyway, like, they were born here. And I'm like, and they said, what is Cracker Barrel like? And I'm like, well, imagine a garage sale that sells food. That's pretty much what it's like. Um, but anyway, I, I was in Boston a couple weeks ago, and I made plans to have breakfast with one of my closest friends. Uh, who lives in Hartford, and uh, we said, well, what's halfway between Boston and Hartford? And I said, Cracker Barrel. It was right there in the middle, right in between us. And um, so I didn't have a car, so my nephew, who's uh, 21, uh, was kind enough to lend me his, uh, or at least I thought it was nice of him. And uh, so, But the first problem, I got into the car, and I mean, it's like this little Celica, so I mean, it took me like 10 minutes to actually get into the car. So I got into it, and the car wouldn't start, so I call him, and I'm like, you know, why does your car not start? And he's like, do you know how to drive a stick? And I'm like, I'm a man. Of course I know how to drive a stick. And, uh, and he says, well, you know, you've got to put the clutch all the way down. And I said, I did put the clutch all the way down. And he says, no, in this car, you've got to put it all the way down. Like you're trying to kill a bug that's like three feet below the surface of the earth. So I push this clutch as far down as I can, and the car starts right up. Like, okay, first problem, get that checked. So anyway, um, so I, I start driving. And as I start driving, I remember that his AC doesn't work. And then I remember this conversation that him and I had about air conditioning. And he's like, I live in Boston. I don't need air conditioning. Well, it was 95 degrees the day I was driving to Cracker Barrel. So, my friend, I respectfully disagree. Uh, that we, and by the way, it was raining when I was driving. So I had to drive with the windows rolled up. So I had like my own little personal greenhouse effect happening as I was sweating through my shirt uh, going to uh, Cracker Barrel. And I get on the highway, and the car starts making this really weird noise. The slower I go, the louder the noise. The faster I go, the less the noise. So, of course, the answer is go faster so you don't hear the noise. And um, it, it turns out, I learned later on when I got to Cracker Barrel, that it was, um, you know, underneath uh, some cars, there's this plastic piece that keeps kind of all the gunk from the road from getting into the engine. Well, that's kind of held up by these two bolts. Well, that, those two bolts had... Um, it had kind of ripped through those two bolts, and, and that, that plastic covering was just scraping on the ground. So that's just like, you know, just another little delightful thing for you. So I get to Cracker Barrel, have breakfast, have a great time with my friend who I don't get to see nearly enough. And uh, then I drive home, same thing, you know, it's hot, it's raining, um, push the clutch all the, all the way down, and then the thing was scraping. But the other added bonus that I got was that the check engine light came on, because that is always reassuring. And uh, so... Then I get home and I give him the keys back and then um, I didn't have time. We were, on our, we were in a bit of a rush, so I gave him money to fill up his tank. And then I said, hey, listen, a couple of things happened to your car when I was driving it. And he's like, oh, what happened? And I said, well, there's this pl- you may not know this, but there's this plastic flap that keeps gunk out of the engine. Well, it, the, it broke off from the two bolts. I don't know what happened, but it now drags all over the street. And he goes, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It always does that. Uh, all right. And I said, well, then there's this other problem. When I was driving, the check engine light came on, and I think there might be a problem with the engine. He goes, yeah, don't worry about that. That light's always on. And I, I'm, all right. And I, and I, said, uh, I, I said, Craig, if your car has all these problems, and by the way, your AC does, still doesn't work, um, you may want to think about selling that car and getting something different. And he, and he looks at me as if I'm insane. And he goes, what are you talking about? My car runs perfectly. And I'm like, have you been in this car? It does not run perfectly. And, and I'm telling him, I'm like, listen, 
I just drove your car for like two hours. This car does not run perfectly. When I stopped to pay the toll each way, the girl at the toll looked at me with those like, I feel so sorry for you eyes. Like, here's your change. I wish I could give you more out of the register. That's what it looked like. She was, like, like I was like this pathetic person driving this car. And, and, and here's the thing that, that I've noticed. You know, so many families, they operate exactly the same way. They're just scraping by. Uh, the, the check your marriage light is on, and, 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 but they just think like it doesn't mean anything. And if you were to ask them, they'd be like, no, 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 we're, we're doing okay. And here's the reason why we tend to think that sometimes, even in, in the situation that we're in at times, the reason that we think that uh, is because we've never really seen what a great marriage looks like. If you know this, you know, the generation that I'm from, or many of us are from, uh, it has the highest rate of divorce of any other uh, generation that, that has preceded. And even this current generation has a, a, a little better of, of a percentage rate as far as divorce than the generation that many of us, uh, than our parents' uh, generation. And, and, the, and the issue is this, is that if we were to able to take a step back and look at our relationships and, and, and look at those relationships that didn't make it, I think we would think differently. I think we'd rethink what it is that makes relationships work and what is it that makes relationships not work. And if you've been with us for any length of time in this series over the last couple of months, the series is called Rethink, as you know. And the idea is that you change your thinking, you change your life. Because no one has ever made a decision to do something. No one has ever com committed an action without first changing the way that they think. Whatever it is that you've done to change Something in your life started with a decision that happened in your brain and then it translated into the steps that you take and the things that you put your hand to or not. And so the issue is, I mean, we think about families that get counseling and get help and turn things around. They don't do that until they change the way that they think about their current situation. And so what Paul does in this passage in Ephesians, and if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open to Ephesians chapter 5, which is where we're going to be. He gives us, I believe... For some of us, is going to be a new perspective on marriage. For, for a lot of us, I mean, it, really, it's the godly perspective on marriage. You, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I've talked about this, that right now the divorce rate stands at 52% uh, of, of marriages end in divorce. And maybe it's time for us to really think long and hard about what God has to say about marriage and about family. Because you and I need to learn what it means to be a family according to the Word of God. Now, some of you have been here. Some of you were here for a series that we did earlier this year called Happily Ever After. Some of you have been, you know, I try to teach on marriage, uh, you know, once a year or at least every other year. And here's the thing. And so you've heard me give some talks on marriage. And here's what you might think. Like, oh, he's going to kind of give kind of the same rap that he's given before. What I'm going to give you is kind of like my marriage talk 2.0. Um, th this is like, you know, maybe the graduate level um, of, of marriage talks that I'm going to give. And I, I really believe in many ways that this is probably the most important talk on marriage and family that I've ever given. Um, and the reason is this, is because I'm going to share with you the secret that makes marriage work. And you say, and I know there's so many books that have like, oh, the secret to this, the secret to that, as if, you know, but, but I, I really do believe that the things that I'm going to share with you today are very easy to say, and I'm going to tell you that they're much more difficult to implement and do. But if you will do them, you will experience harmony in your home, peace in your relationships, and your relationship with God and with your family will be much better, with your husband, your wife, your kids. Here, here's really what a, a, the secret to a great marriage is. You may want to jot this down. Listen, it's very simple. It's to center your marriage on the gospel. 
It's to center your marriage on the gospel. And you say, like, what in the world does that even mean? Listen, I have spent fi- almost 15 years working with couples. And here's what, I, here's what I've learned, is that couples don't really have marriage problems. Couples have discipleship problems. You see, when you get, two people get together, our goal is, if we're Christians, is to follow Jesus. Right? Here's what the Bible teaches in the notes that we gave you. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Discipleship is a life of denying myself. Marriage, if you want a successful marriage, here's what you do. You decide that this marriage is not about what I can get out of it. It's about how can I make this marriage better for the other person that I'm married to. And the the reason that we have issues in marriage is not marriage issues, they're discipleship issues. To the the degree that I grow as a a disciple and implement those discipleship principles into my marriage is is to the degree that we'll experience harmony in our relationship. Now, let, I'm going to talk to three groups today. I'm going to talk to husbands, I'm going to talk to wives, and I'm, t- I'm going to talk to parents. And I can assure you, after looking at these notes, after writing this message, and then looking at these notes several times, there is something to offend everyone in this room. Now you say, wow, now I feel like, I feel very special. Um, now here's, this is the truth. This is going to rub some of you the wrong way. I read this, and it, I wrote it, and it rubs me the wrong way. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, is because there's, there's parts of the Scripture that are just going to rub us the wrong way because it's part of how God is molding us and shaping us. And it's okay if some of it kind of is partially offends us or some of it is kind of rubs us the wrong way. It's okay because the truth is we don't have to like it. We just have to do it. Because, that's, because I'm a firm believer that if we do the right things, the feelings will eventually follow. And so... Um, you know, so here's the deal. I'm going to talk to the wives first. I'm going to talk to the husbands. Then I'm going to talk to parents. Um, if you're a wife here, hang for the whole thing. Um, because you say, well, are you saying this to my wives? Well, just don't worry. Because I'm going to club the men to death in just a few minutes. Um, and then, you know, if you say, if you're a husband, you're like, I can't believe you said that. Don't worry. You just remember what I told your wife 10, 10 minutes ago. Um, and then, you know, the parents, uh, you know, there's going to be no hope. The only hope is that it'll be over soon once I get to the parents. Um, so here's the thing. So I hope that uh, you brought a helmet because you may need it. We're going to start in chapter 5 in verse 22. Here's, here's what it says. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Um, here, here's the first thing in your notes, if, you wanna, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Here's the first thing that we, we need to know if we want to rethink family. The first thing is this, is that wives are called to willing submission. Willing submission. What do I mean by that? Um, I used to run a college. I probably told you that, you know, a thousand times if you've been here for a while. Um, but before coming to start Calvary ten years ago, I, used to, I spent four years running a college. And um, I had a, I was, you know the administrator of the school, and I had a staff working under me, um, and, uh, which, was, which was fine. But when I was leaving, I decided to do something. Um, there's a guy that we had hired, uh, that I had hired as the assistant director of the school, the assistant administrator, and uh, he was going to be taking over. And as we were beginning the church, my um, focus started shifting towards, you know, moving here to start the church and all that. And so while I was still up at the school, I was kind of beginning the transition and the school still needed leadership. And, I, and so here's what I did is that I went to our senior pastor and I said, here's, here's, what, uh, here's my, my, um, my idea. Is why don't we put, take me, put me in the assistant role 
and take this guy that we brought on as the assistant, make him the director, so that while the last three months that I'm here, he can lead it, and I'll be here to answer any questions that he has, but he can begin to take the ball and, and kind of go from there. And, um, and here's the thing, is that um, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I did not know how it was going to work. And, um, you know, before the change had happened, before, you know, he became the director and I was the assistant director, uh, or when I was the director um, or the administrator, I mean, I was stressing out and working late and all this because decisions needed to be made and all of that. But then um, when he became the guy in charge, you know, he became the boss, uh, and I was the assistant, when my work was done, I just went home. And it was amazing because I, I felt totally free. Um, he, he was the guy that was stressing out and worrying about the decisions. And, and I remember there was this one night that um, he was stressing out and trying to figure out all the stuff that I used to stress out and try to figure out. And then I popped, um, you know, and I, I, I look, just popped my head. Our offices were next to each other. And I just popped my head to look at him uh, as I was walking out. And he looked at me with his face like, what in the world did I just agree to, you know, like 10 days ago? And um, being the compassionate caring person that I am, I said, I'm out of here. See ya. Uh, and that was that. And, um, and here's the thing. This, this is the thing that we have to understand is that when we hear the term submission, we think that it's like a horrible thing. And some of it is because culturally we've been taught that you always want to be the top dog. You always want to be the boss. You always want to be the guy in charge. But sometimes we don't forget. And then some of us, we get to the point where we are the person in charge and, and, and we don't realize the immense pressure that's found um, in, in, in the one being the leader. And here's the thing. Um, when we talk about submission and we talk about that um, God has ordained in the family for the man to lead, for the man, according to this passage, to be the head. Sometimes we think that this is degrading to women and makes women subservient to men. And let me just say this, that that's not true. In fact, let me, let me be even a little stronger and say that the gospel of Jesus Christ has done more for women than any bra-burning, man-hating, feminazi, women's rights activist has ever done. Ever. Listen, in ancient culture, women were not... Not only were women not equal to men, women had zero standing. Women could not even testify in court. That, that's how, how a little value um, their words, opinions, and thoughts were. There was an ancient prayer that, that many uh, Jews prayed that says, God, I thank you that you did, you did not create me a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. In that order. You following here? So listen, women had absolutely no social standing in that culture. And then along comes Jesus, our Savior. And you know what he does? He does the unthinkable and allows women to follow him. Allows women to become disciples and learn of him. The, God, the, the Christian faith comes along and takes women who had no social standing and presents them, not with some social standing, but presents them as equals with men in the sight of God. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or free, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, that is the message of the Bible, is that men and women are equal, that men and women are both image bearers of God. We were both created, both men and women created in God's image and in God's likeness. But because of the way that we were created differently, we, we reflect different characteristics of, of God's image and God's likeness. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter one, it says, then God said, let us 
Make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creatures that, uh, move, that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. And in his image, he created them, male and female, he created them. You see, submission is not an issue of equality. It's an issue of order and responsibility. When Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned in the garden, guess what? Adam decided that it was not his fault. When God said to him, hey, what, what have you done? Listen to what his response was. It's in your notes in Genesis 3.12. Uh, it says, the man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Basically, here's what God says. Two people are at fault here, God. You and the woman. I'm just a victim here. I'm a victim of circumstance. You created this woman to be with me and you created her naked. So how am I going to say no to that? And so then she gave me this fruit. It looked pretty good. And now I'm in this whole pickle and it's all because of this woman that you created. So it's her fault and your fault. And I am I'm I'm not guilty. And and listen. And so here's what God does. God says this. He decides to fix it at this moment. And he says, well, here's the deal, Adam. From now on, you're going to be in charge. And there's going to be no squirming. There's going to be no buck passing. There's going to be nothing here because when it comes down to it, I'm holding you responsible. Listen to what God says. He says, and this is in Genesis 3, 16. He says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and, the, and, and in pain you will give birth and your desire to, uh, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will, will rule over you. You see, it's not an issue of who's smarter. It's an issue of design. God has given men leadership responsibility and he's given wives the role of following that leadership. You see, and, and here's what you might say, and this is the thing, as I've taught this over the years, here's what happens, that I'll teach that, and this is what women will say to me, they'll say, but you don't understand, Pastor, my husband is an idiot. And uh, listen, I understand, and I may even agree, all right? But that doesn't change the fact that God is calling you uh, to submit, to, submit to, to, to your husband's leadership and not submitting. Listen, is, the Bible would consider that sin. Um, because you can't have marital harmony if both of you are trying to lead. And this is the, this is the, usually the response that, that some women will give me. But you don't understand. If I follow his leadership, he will lead us off a cliff. I mean, this, this guy couldn't lead us out of a paper bag. Um, and listen, I, I understand that. And I, I would also tell you this. God is well aware of that fact. Um, but the command of God still stands. But you don't understand. My husband isn't a Christian. The command of God still stands. You see, and so the question becomes now, well, what does submission look like? I mean, are, are women supposed to become a doormat for men? Absolutely not. And if you know anything about God, you know, you know that that's not the way that God operates. Listen, God created women. And God created women uh, who, are, who are strong in communication, who are, are, who are, 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 are strong uh, individuals, who have an opinion. And I think that that's amazing. But see, the Bible says this, and it's not in your notes. Um, it's in Genesis 2.18. I just want you to write this down. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now, once again, sometimes women will read that and they say, I'm his helper? You see, my, my brother-in-law is, is an electrical contractor. And he has, help, he's like, he, he, owns, he owns the company, and he has helpers. And these people that aren't um, electricians... They're just there helping. So it's like, hand me a screwdriver. They hand him a screwdriver. Go get me a soda. Go get him a soda. That, and we think, when we think of a helper, sometimes that's what we think of, right? 
Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what this word means. This word in Hebrew is the word Ezer Konegdo. It's these two Hebrew words that are, that are put together to, to, to form what we, would, uh, what we translate as helper. But it, it's, it's the Hebrew word Ezer Konegdo, and, and here's what it's really referring to. That word Ezer Konegdo is used of God several times in the Scriptures. In, um, in Psalm 33, verse 20, it says this, it says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help, Ezra Konegdo, and our shield. And I can promise you, God is not the guy getting you a Phillips head screwdriver and a soda. Why? God, he's the one who's able, the helper is the one who's able to save us. And that's the power of this word. It's someone who helps, it's someone who saves. You see, when God created the woman, he get, and, get, and brings her to the man, this woman, he says, this, I'm going to make a... a helper someone who's able to save him she saved him from the loneliness that he had because he realized that there was no one comparable to him but she also in the life that they lived was able to save him from poor decisions that he would make from going the wrong path and and as they talked and as they counseled together they would realize hey maybe this is the best way that that we that, that 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 we need to go always recognizing he's the one that god has put in authority but god is also while god has given man the gift of leadership he's given the woman the gift of influence which is something different but yet equally as powerful in the bible it says this in first peter chapter 3 it says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For it is this way the holy women of the past who put their faith, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and uh, called uh, and, and called him her master. Um, and you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, in another translation, it says that um, it says that there was a, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called her Lord. And I've been trying to tell Carrie, like, because of this, you should call me Lord, Lord Bob. And uh, we've been married for 13 years and it's still a no go, but we're working. Um, so pray for her. And uh, <laughs> but listen, what what is what is what does submission look like in these verses? Here's what it is. It's godliness. It's honoring God by obeying God in all things. Peter mentions uh, Sarah as an example of submission and as an example of godliness. And here's why this is so important. When you read the, the, the account, the, you know, from uh, Genesis, chapter, let's, uh, Genesis chapter 12, when we're introduced to Abraham, all the way to Genesis chapter 23, um, you know, which is kind of after that, the, the story begins to take a turn elsewhere, um, or chapter 25 or so. Um, here's what you learn. He makes a, Abraham makes a bunch of dumb mistakes. And he's like, God says, don't go to Egypt. And guess where Abraham goes? Oh, I got, a next, I got us on the next flight to Egypt. And he's like, well, why? God told you not to go there. And here's the thing that the Bible shows us is that Sarah just follows Abraham's leadership, even when it's a poor decision. And here's the thing that we recognize is that God blesses Sarah throughout all of these things, even when Abraham is in a place of disobedience, because she understood something. And that is that Abraham was accountable to God for her actions. But Sarah was accountable to God for her submission to Abraham. 
Single ladies, let me talk to you for a moment. Um, Because I need to say something to you before we leave this section. Um, And that is this. Choose well the man you're going to marry. Choose well the man you're going to marry because the day that you say, I do, this man now becomes the leader of your family. And so if you're, if you're like somebody or you're with somebody and you're like, yeah, I like him and he seems like a nice guy and he's cute, but I would never want to be, a, be, be like in submission to him or, or let him be, the, be like the final say in our relationship, then here's what you want to do. Run! That's what you want to do. You want to get out of there. Why? Because it is not going to go well. Because if you're seeing that now, you want to see, is this guy a good decision maker now? Is he, does he trust God now? Is he a godly man now? Because if he isn't now, listen, he's not going to be later. And you're better off waiting for the man that's godly enough to lead you than to rush off to marry someone and spend your life regretting that you didn't trust him enough to, find, to bring you someone that could lead you and lead your family. All right, women, exhale. Your section is over. Men, I hope you're wearing a cup. Here we go. Um, verse 25. Oh, drop that. Uh, verse 25. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you... In particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's here's the second thing that we need to know. And that is that husbands are called to loving leadership, loving leadership. What usually happens is we start out with love that's very, very passionate. And then we end up with a relationship that's very, very functional because there isn't much investment. I don't know if you've ever heard of the seven stages of the married cold. Um, but they kind of go like this. Wife gets the cold, stage one, and he says something like this. Uh, sugar dumpling? I've been really worried about my baby girl. That's a really bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things with all the strep going around. I'm going to put you in the hospital for a general checkup and good rest. I know the food's terrible, but I'm going to bring you dinner every night from your favorite restaurant. I've got it all arranged. Year one of marriage. Year two. Listen, darling. I don't like the sound of that cough. I'm going to call Dr. Miller to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl. Year three. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you're feeling lousy. I'll bring you something. Do we have any canned soup? Year four. Look, honey, be sensible. After you've fed the kids, got the dishes done and mopped the floor, you should lie down. Year five. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Year six, try gargling or something instead of barking around here like a seal. And then year seven, will you stop coughing on me? You're trying to give me pneumonia. And so uh, you see how, how, it kind of, how it progresses. And here's the thing. Listen, God calls men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. 
How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. Here's, here's the deal, guys. A lot of men love the, you know, Ephesians 5.22, um, you know, wives submit to your husbands verse. For many guys, it's the only verse of the Bible they have memorized. Um, you know, and they're, content, they're considering getting it tattooed. Um, but here's the reality is. The reality is this, is that some men make it impossible for their wives to submit to them because of the idiotic decisions that they make and the ridiculous machismo attitude. Can I just tell you this and go on record to tell you that uh, machismo is not being a man. Um, it's how a boy pretends to be a man, uh, if, you, if you weren't aware. Um, because there's a problem in our culture that men don't know what it means to be a man. Tonight, over 40% of kids will go to sleep um, without their dad at home. That's not right. 45% of births right now in Florida, 45% of births are to unwed moms. Guy gets a girl pregnant, where'd he go? He's not, he's not around. You know what one of the gr- fastest growing trends are that is really concerning people? Um, is kids with no dad listed on the birth certificate. Upwards of 30% of, no, uh, of births with no dad listed. Dad, who, where's dad? I, we don't even really know who he is. I mean, there's a problem. And that is we've got guys who don't know what it means to be a man. And guys, your job is to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. So, so much so that when your wife thinks of you, she thinks of Jesus. That, that's what's being referred to here. That's the kind of love that's being discussed here. You see, a lot of guys will say, well, I'd be willing to die for my wife. Okay, but are you willing to sacrifice for her? Are you willing to say no to what it is that you want for the sake of what's best for your family? You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a picture of love that's sacrificial. And it means, that's what it means. You say, well, I'm so glad that as a man I get to be the leader. Well, you get to be the leader. And here's how you get to be the leader. You die. You die to your dreams. You die to your ideals. You die to what you want. And you do the thing that's best for your family. Guys, the women who struggle with submission struggle because they have a husband who does not look like Jesus. So what does loving leadership look like? I, I'm going to give you three ways that loving, what loving leadership looks like based on these verses. Here's the first one in your notes. Godly decision-making. Godly decision-making. That means that you are actively and seriously seeking God's will in every decision that you make. You aren't making decisions because it's good for you or it's what you want. Instead, you're making decisions because it's what, what, is, what honors God and it's what is His will and it's what's in the best interest of your family. You see, if your wife knows that you are praying fervently about decisions, that you're getting godly counsel, and then you say, honey, this is what we're going to do, I can promise you that she's going to follow you. But if you're playing video games all day and then barking orders from the couch, listen, you're going to have problems. And if you say, well, God told me to, you know, take money out of the savings account to buy more video games for my Xbox, I can promise you that you're, you know, it's, gonna, it's not going to go well. Um, and here's why, because the, the, the decision mechanism is primarily selfish. Do you know what one of the biggest issues, and I, I say this jokingly, but one of the biggest issues that counselors are dealing with right now in marital counseling is that the guy is caught up playing video games all day long. Do you know what one of the biggest things that people are dealing with in, in doctor's offices? Thumb-related injuries. Well, what's he do for a living all day? I don't know, but it involves an Xbox. You know, I mean, this is it. It's like his thumb is, you know, um, and, and, and it's like, listen, um, I don't have a problem if you play video games, if you're 12, um, you know, because when I was 12, I had an Atari 2600. 
Thank you very much. Um, you know, I had the first Nintendo system because my sister had one. And, uh, and my mom actually bought Mia for her birthday. She bought her a Wii system. And so sometimes I'll help her play or whatever. But I mean, it's not like one of the things that you're not going to find if you come over to my house is, hey, where's Bob? Oh, he's been in the room. You know, he's playing Wii. This is, he's on his sixth hour. No, you know, because because when you're a man, you have responsibilities. And, there's, you know, what I like to oh, is play like a baseball video game. Probably. But see, when you're a man, you've got stuff to do. So if you haven't cut the lawn because you're playing video games and somebody needs a machete to get to your front door because you're playing Madden 2011, someone who loves you needs to come to your house and beat you with a stick in the name of Jesus. All right. Because that's not leadership. That's called being a mama's boy. All right. And listen, that's the problem that I'm, when I, when I'm telling you, as I, as I see things with men, many, they're just not really men. They're just mama's boys. Um, and listen, God is calling you. You want to be the leader. Great. Then step up and lead. But if you can't get out of bed, this is, this is the stuff that I hear. I, oh, well, you know, my wife has to get up 15 minutes before me so that she can wake me up in the morning. You don't need a wife. You need a mom and an alarm clock. Okay? This is an issue. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, well, we, we talked about this, and this is what she wanted. And so, well, once again, so you take the big responsibilities, and you just push the decision on her, and then if it doesn't go well, you blame her. Then you don't want a, a wife. You want a mommy. All right? But here's the deal, guys. This is what the Bible says. It says that when I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. When my wife and I were getting married, we needed money for our first apartment. And um, I was in college. We were both in college. And um, I, was, I, had, I was working a job, going to college. I had gotten a second job to pay for the ring uh, that, I, that I gave her. Um, and... Um, and so we had needed money for our first apartment. I sold my guitar, my 1983 Black Gibson Les Paul Standard, and my Marshall Half Stack uh, amp, and I, I wheeled it into a, a guitar store, and I sold them both. And here's the thing. You might not think that that's a big deal. So you sold a guitar and an amp. Big deal. Listen, I was in a band. I had a, I had a record deal. We had an album. We were just finished with our tour. Um, if you look, I had someone uh, email me the other day. They said, do you know you're in Wikipedia? And I said, no kidding. And um, you look me up in Wikipedia. I have two entries, both referring to the bands that I was in, nothing referring to me teaching the Bible. So this is, you know, one, the band that I was in that I had just left because I was going to Bible college and going into ministry was named one of the 10 best Christian metal bands of all time. So when I'm telling you that I sold my guitar, it wasn't like, yeah, I had this old pair of shoes laying around. When I sold my guitar, I'm saying, this is who I am. Could you please give me a few hundred bucks for it? Um, I mean, I was, I was selling basically, my, it was my identity at that time as to everything I had accomplished. And you say, well, why do you do it? Because that's what being a godly man demands. And guys, I'm telling you, you want to be the leader? That's great. God has called you to be the leader. But it's calling you, it, it's for you to sacrifice. It's loving the way Jesus loved. How did he love? He gave himself for her. That's the one, godly decision-making. Number two is this, scriptural living. That means you're living your life and leading your family according to the Scriptures. Not according to whims or good ideas, but according to the Word of God. In verse 26, it says this. It says that the husband is to wash, that washes the wife with the Word of God. That means that you're making sure that your family goes to church. You're making sure your family is involved in a growth group. It means making sure that your family uh, is having devotions and you're having family devotions. You see, 
What, what too often happens is mom is trying to drag everybody to go to church. Guys, can I just tell you this? If, if, you're, if you're married and you have kids, listen, you are a pastor. Congratulations. Here, there, there you go. All right. You are a pastor and your congregation is your family. All right. And your goal is to make sure that your wife and your kids are growing in their relationship with God because God is holding you accountable for that. The Bible says this in um, in first Corinthians 14, this is a passage that's so beautiful and it's so misunderstood. Here's what it says. It says women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Um, if they are to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, before you start throwing tomatoes, let me explain what that means. Culturally, culturally, remember, the early church operated in the same way as the ancient synagogue. So what it would be is there'd be a center aisle and there'd be, you know, uh, the left and right. And what would happen is that men would sit on one side, women would sit on the other. And so the pastor would stand and start, start teaching the scriptures. So imagine what happens when the wife has a question. And she goes, hey, papito, what does that mean? You know, and they're like, whoa. And, like, and so here's what happens. It's like she's, she's asking the, the guys on the other side of the church, and she's asking them what that means. And here's what Paul says. Listen, it sounds like an insane asylum in your churches. And so here's what you've got to do. If she's got a question, that's fine. Let her ask her husband at home. Because if she's sitting all the way over here and he's sitting all the way over here, it's just going to create a ruckus and it's going to be out of order. And here's the thing that's amazing. And this is why I believe there's such wisdom in this. For Paul says, he doesn't just say, oh, just have her ask the woman that's sitting next to her. Or have her ask somebody, some guy in the church. No, he says this, have her go home and ask her husband. You know why? Because the goal for the man is to be godly and to be a godly leader. And to lead according to scriptural, uh, scriptural living. And so here's what happens. She asks the husband... And the guy says, I have no idea. She says, well, you know, you're the leader, so I'm just going to go ahead and wait for you to get the answer to that question. Well, I don't know it. Well, then, uh, you know, you're, you're going to lead, so you're going to have to find out because i got a question about that. And um, I've had women come up to me and ask me theological questions, and many times my response is this, where's your husband? Let's ask, ask him. And, and, and it's like, why? Because it teaches a wife to look to her husband as the spiritual leader. And here's what it challenges the husband to do, to actually be a spiritual leader. Because, you know, when, when she asks her husband, you know what the husband has to do? He's got to find the answer. And a lot of times, um, we'll get, I'll get emails, or one of the guys on staff will get emails, or we'll get calls, and they'll be like, hey, my wife asked me this question. I have no idea. Can you help me out? And here, we'll say, hey, gladly. Grab this book. Here's an answer. Here, listen to this message that we did. And, and, he, and it's a great opportunity. And now he turns around and he says, all right, I, 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 got, I got an answer. Here's what it is. She builds her confidence in him. He now feels a bit stronger because he's got some more uh, answers and he's got some more, a little more knowledge under his belt. And it's a great moment for the two of them. And so many times a wife will come up and say, hey, what's the answer to that? And I could just say, it's a very easy answer. But instead, if I can just take a step out of the way and get him involved and say, how about this? Ask your husband and I'll talk to him about it. And then now he comes around and tells her and it becomes this amazing moment for the two of them. And I can now step out of the way and a relationship and a marriage and a family is now built stronger based on simply a question that God answered. That, that was uh, uh, about the Word of God. Here's the third one. is a servant-hearted attitude. That's number three. A servant-hearted attitude. That's how a man leads, is through serving. 
Guys, you want your wife to follow your leadership? Be a servant. That's what Jesus modeled for us. When you get home from work, you know, you feed the kids, you get them bathed, you put them to bed. Um, because, listen, the reason why many wives don't want to submit to their husband is really an issue of trust because they feel that they're going to be taken advantage of. You know, but what, I've, what we've talked about, listen, a man who is committed to loving his wife by sacrificing his desires for her, to live by the Scriptures, who makes godly decisions, who serves his family and doesn't expect to be served, I've never met a woman who says, yeah, I can't follow that guy. No, she's saying, where is that guy that I might marry him? Fact, quickly. Um, why? Because that's why it, it... Guys, this is what happens sometimes with us, and, and, I'm, and I'm included in this. Sometimes we're waiting for something to happen. And we think like, oh, that's all good. And then something's going to happen and that's what's going to send it into high gear. Listen, we're gonna, we'll be here a year from now and still waiting for something to happen. And we're waiting for some sign to tell us now is the time to start. Here is your sign. You've just read it in the Bible. So now is the time to do it. Put the gospel at the center of your marriage. And you know what you're going to find? The conflict is going to minimize to almost go away. Harmony will go way up and your influence with others will, will, will reach way out. Look at what he says quickly. This is what he says to parents. Chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, um, this is the third one, and that is that parents are called to godly training. Parents are called to godly training. Um, this is my one-year-old son, um, who's right here, uh, but that doesn't sound good. There he is. Uh, that's my son, Alexander, and um, he is, he's cute. He really is. He looks like me. Um, and uh, and uh, I will tell you this, though. We were, I forgot where we were the other day, and uh, someone says, I was holding my son, and the woman said, you are just gorgeous. And I said, you know, I hear that a lot. And, uh, and she felt awkward. I felt very complimented. Um, but my son is learning how to give kisses. And uh, it's actually really cute. Um, I've, tried him to give, I've tried to teach him to give kisses since he was born and nothing. And, uh, and here's how he learned. Here's how he learned to give kisses is that when I, we, I get home from work and my kids come running and I pick them both up and then I give them kisses and then Carrie comes over and I give her a kiss. And when I give Carrie a kiss, he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. And so I'll give her a kiss, or three, or 20, you know, however many she'll let me give her. Um, and, uh, and, and he will just start laughing. And then as we're kissing, he just, I, I feel like his head gets closer to us, like, hey, I want to get in on that action, you know. And, uh, and, and that's what he does. And so now, um, every, every time, so he just kind of leans, leans, every time I'll just say, uh, you know, besito, and he'll just lean his head in. Or every once in a while, I don't know where he got this, he just goes like this. You know, like, Whoa, relax. I love you, but I want to keep the relationship professional. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but that's, but, but listen, this is, this is the big, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in, in parenting. Um, and that is this, that kids do what's modeled for them. They do what's modeled for them. And that's why Paul says, do not provoke your kids. And it, it, another way to say, don't frustrate your kids to, to the point of anger. And here's how we frustrate them. We frustrate them when we're inconsistent with them. Um, studies show that this, it says that kids want boundaries and they actually feel safer when there are rules. 
that kids like structure and uh, consistency and that they behave best when they know um, what's coming next. Um, my daughter's new favorite show is a show that's called The Fresh Beat Band. Now, I know those of you that don't have kids, you probably have this on your TiVo. Um, but no, anyway, it's like this, I mean, it's a cute show, but she loves it. And um, what, what happened was that one night she wanted to go to bed. It was time for her to go to bed. And she said, Poppy, can I watch The Fresh Beat Band before we do a dub-dubs? That's what we call taking a bath. Can I, can I watch Fresh Beat Band before dub-dubs? And I said, sure. So we watched it, and then... Um, what we do on that show is every time they sing a song, her and I dance. That's just the rule. It doesn't matter where I am, by the way, if she's watching the Fresh Beat Band. I could be underneath my car, and she's like, Poppy, they're dancing, they're singing, and i got to get out, go back in, and dance, because that's just the rule. Well, anyway, the next night, now we did that once. The next night, um, I, I was at the office late, and so Carrie says, Mia, it's time for Dub Dubs, it's time for a bath. And she goes, no, we have to watch the Fresh Beat Band. Poppy says we have to watch the Fresh Beat Band before Dub Dubs. And now, every night, we have to watch the Fresh Beat Band before um, she takes a bath. And then um, she tries to get Carrie involved in the dancing, too. And, and that's, you know, kind of how, how the whole thing works. And, um, and uh, you know what we find is that if we just show her that this is just the consistent schedule that we do, she's better behaved when she knows what it is that's coming next. And that's why one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our kids is the gift of consistency. This consistent training, uh, consistent discipline. And by the way, we have, sometimes we have a weird uh, idea of what discipline means. Discipline in Hebrew is the Hebrew word musar, which is, uh, can also be translated to train or to coach. Um, so this consistent coaching and training to do the right thing and consistent love. Um, the Bible says this, you know this verse, says train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not turn from it. Um, and my friends, here's the deal, is that family works when we center our family on the gospel. When we go into marriage or family thinking about what we can get out of it, it never works because that is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel is this, Jesus gave everything, and now we freely receive. Now, in marriage, in relationships, we give sacrificially so that those in our family can freely receive. And when we do that, and we serve our spouse or we serve our kids to see them become everything God wants them to be, it works. Because our Savior Jesus, who is the head of the church, shows us what a perfect husband should be. Because our Savior Jesus was also submitted to his Father's will and shows us what submission is. And he went to the cross showing us what perfect love is. Let's pray together. And Father, we want to thank you for how good you are. We thank you for your love and we uh, thank you for the fact that we, you have not left us alone to figure out marriage or figure out parenting or figure out what it means to be a husband or a wife. Instead, you've given us your word. You've given us your example. You've given us your spirit to do these things. So I pray that you would empower us to do them. In Jesus' name, amen.